0: And please be seated. Let's uh, hear from God's holy word. If you have a Bible, please open to the Old Testament to Isaiah. We find ourselves doing a lot with Isaiah at Christmas time. He has uh, so much uh, uh, to say that connects us with the Lord Jesus. So we're in Isaiah chapter 9 wonderful passage predicting the birth of Christ. As you're turning, let me welcome those who might be joining on our live stream on this uh, fourth Sunday of Advent, Advent, Christmas Eve Sunday. We are glad you're here and trust that God will bless you through the preaching of his word. And we encourage you to join with us uh, in future Sundays. Our text is really verse three, which mentions joy. That's what we're going to pick out from this passage, but we'll put it in context because it's very important to see it uh, with all the other things around it. So here is Isaiah 9, the first uh, six verses. But there will be no gloom for her, her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, May the Lord bless the hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Amen. Amen. If, by grace, you know, personally know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have access to a life of great joy. That's the point today. You have access to a life of great joy. At the pinnacle of God's plan to deliver us through his incarnate son, he sent the angels to deliver a call, an announcement to those who were abiding in the fields and in Bethlehem. It was a wake-up call saying, promised joy had arrived. You know these words, we've heard them from Luke 2. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. This is really a change. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Where is that great joy coming? for?" unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord Isaiah 9 saying that we will have multiplied joy when a child is born and here angels in Luke 2 telling us it's happened let the party begin Do, do we hear that aspect of the good news Yes, salvation from guilt and shame and and death. And we have life. And we have light. We have a relationship with the Lord. And we have access to a life of joy. Joy is not just one of the Christmas words or an abstract and passing feeling. It is a reality. Indeed, it is an essential reality of the Christian life. That's the point we'll make this morning. If you know the fruit of the Spirit, do you know the first one is love, the second one is joy. My friends, we're not here just to cheer you up. This is not a Christmas pep talk. What I aim to do this morning for you and anyone listening online is to show you in the scriptures that our God provides deliverance, not just from sin and death and gloom and despair, But he brings us into a life of liberty in Christ and of joy. Not just in heaven to come, but even now in this world, we have joy, the joy of Jesus. So let's talk about that. And if you're faltering... And if you haven't felt this joy in a while, this is for you especially. Because if you're not experiencing this joy, you don't know all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. You need to know that and then believe that and live in its light. Because Jesus came to deliver us and bring us joy. Let's start with this first heading. You might see in the sermon outline I provide the promise of joy. This is setting the stage uh, first, we see that life was largely lived without joy in this broken world. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Boy, they had it good for a while. Then they sinned and rebelled and, and they, they went into a life of hardship. The consequences of our sin. Yes, God gave hope. God guided people, men and women and boys and girls walked by faith. They knew that God would help. God was helping them, guiding them. But largely in this fallen world, it was a world of despair. There was the loss of hope by and large. And we know the history of the Old Testament, God's people were few and most of the world was lost. Three words describe the world without a relationship with God, alienation, guilt and misery. Yeah, those are preacher words, perhaps but they describe certain realities and I'm sure you've tasted a little bit of each of them. Maybe it's been a while. Alienation, alienated from God. We have no relationship with our maker. We're groping about, we don't know the meaning of life or know if God is there for us. Ephesians two describes it with these words, writing to Christians about their days before a relationship with Christ. Ephesians two twelve. remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you're not a believer and you hear that, do you know that the Bible understands where you're at? It knows exactly the frustration, the darkness, the agnostic default setting you might be experienced but the bible speaks to move you out of that despair the good news comes not just to believers but the good news comes to a broken world a groping world a despairing world saying hey God is reaching out that great famous painting of by the hand of Michelangelo that portrays God and man and and there's the hands joining It's an interesting work of art, is it not? And we know we can only reach so high. How could we ever reach God? The marvel is that he reaches out to us. Alienation is the reality, but it's not the end of the story. Alienation, guilt over sin and misery that follows the results of all those experiences. That's life in a broken world without God, without joy. But into the midst of this world, Isaiah 9, verse two, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Growing up, I had a, I wanted a basement, I wanted a bedroom of my own as a teenager. I had a brother and we had to share the room, bunk beds squeezed into a tiny room. There were no other rooms in our house. I said, I wanna live in the basement then. Can I make a bedroom in the basement? My dad put up a wall, hung a blanket over the door at the far end of the basement. What I hadn't counted on is that the light for the basement is by the stairs, and my bedroom is all the way across the dark basement. And this was a long time ago, and I was just a little bit afraid of the dark. And I could grope my way there. I'd leave the basement light on. I'd go turn on a light in my room, and I'd come back and shut off the main light and then have a light. But when that light went out, it was dark. It's part of growing up. But when you feel that your life is like a room in the basement. And you're wondering where is this hope. The Bible says God's turned on a light. And that light is not going out. It's only spreading. It's only spreading. And it will win in the end. We know the end of the story. But here Isaiah prophesies. It says that even Galilee of the Gentiles. Even Galilee of the Gentiles. God's light is not just for the Jews, it's for the whole world. And so it's promised here. And these words also bring us news of great joy. This word in verse 3, the Hebrew word for joy, uh, which we find, uh, it, it means mirth, it means gladness, it means joy of heart, it means inward joy, a quality of joy, different than just superficial happiness. But where does it come from? How? Will that joy be multiplied and increased and be ours? It's one thing to say, oh, you'll have a happy life, but how's that going to happen? Well, Isaiah goes on to give at least three three things that are going to happen, and the culmination of how this is all going to happen is in verse 6. For, grammatically we know that points to a ground or a reason, for, to us a child is born, to us his son is given. Okay, our great joy is tied to the birth of a baby? Yes, it is. And we've heard that. And we know that. And we cherish that, especially at Christmas. The world celebrates Christmas, it seems. Even though they don't all know the baby that came. Joy promised in the Bible is linked to the person and work of Jesus. God's provision, God's son. And Isaiah 9, 6 writes in, the, in that present tense, for to us a child is born. This is hundreds of years before Bethlehem. But Isaiah writes with that prophetic certainty. It's as good as done. Many prophecies in the Old Testament use that voice of certainty. Even if it speaks of a future birth. That's the birth of Christ. The promise of joy given many times in the Old Testament Points to that one who will come greater than Moses, who will sit on the throne of David, born of a woman, born of a virgin, who will be God's suffering servant, our savior. Micah 5, 2, born in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before all these promises pointing to this coming person. And interesting, before we leave Isaiah 9, verse 3, when it talks about this joy, it says, you've multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. It gives us a few descriptors of that joy. I thought we might just take a quick look before we move on. It doesn't just say we'll have joy and we get to fill in the blank. It's not a blank check. It's not a gift card. It's a specific joy. And it's connected with God's plans for the earth. Maybe you didn't see that. Let's take a look. It uses two images in parable. A nation multiplied and joy increased. And then they say, as with joy at the harvest and dividing the spoil. Those point to global times of peace, conflict avoided or at least conquered, and spoils handed out. Oh, that wars would end. There are wars in our lands today, in our world. But it also says, as with joy at the harvest. When, when the labors and the efforts and the elements have all conspired and there is a harvest to be had, there's joy. You've reached that stage and that season. That's the kind of joy that will be multiplied. Notice it's not only the joy is increased, the nation is multiplied and enlarged. And it doesn't use the word Israel here. Remember Isaiah's context, there had been captivity. Israel comes back from captivity. It's just a remnant. That boys and girls remnant means a really tiny group. They come back. But this promise is connected with the increase of the nation. The people that is looking ahead to God's gospel good news going global and including the Gentiles. Even from the beginning, God's plan has been to bless the earth through Abraham and Abraham's offspring. Through you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Jesus didn't just come. For the Jewish people, he came for believers from every tribe and tongue. And when we see that not only the nation is enlarged, the joy is increased, there's a manifold dimension. As Kyle and Dalich tell us, the two Hebrew verbs work together and the joy is exponential. Joy is second because joy is going to be a dominant characteristic of this work of God. You'll know when this child has come and when the people are enlarged, you'll see gatherings and joy will describe these spirit-filled Christians from every tribe and tongue it's going to be multiplied and manifold joy. What promises were are given. You see, God glorifies himself by reversing our suffering and misery. He comes to redeem us. And do you realize this? He aims to provide us with great joy in the process. It's not like the dad going to the, local jail to bail out a teenager who got arrested and got traffic tickets. He pays the bail. He comes home and he's upset. God doesn't just bail us out. He pardons us. He restores the relationship. He gives us his spirit and his son and himself. And he adopts us and gives us joy. That qualitative element that transforms all of life that's what our God does and this promise by the way we're talking about the promise and it's not just given in the Old Testament but even just before the birth of Jesus in the New Testament turn with me to Luke chapter 1 because we'll be in the New Testament now Luke chapter 1 and verse 12 that's pretty early on in the gospel of Luke isn't it This promise of joy in a certain form. Before Jesus, uh, before the scriptures tell us about the angel coming to uh, uh, um, Mary. Well, Mary, the angel comes to Mary, then Mary visits Elizabeth. But uh, even as John the Baptist is working here in Luke 1 verse 12. The birth of John the Baptist is foretold. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw this angel, and and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. That's John the Baptist is coming. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. But this isn't the Messiah yet for he will be great before the Lord. And reading on to verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And verse 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Joy breaks in even with the giving of John the Baptist, the one who comes and points to Jesus in person. So these promises of this son seem to come with a promise of joy as well. Let's move on to our next heading, not just the promise of joy, the provision of joy. That's when Jesus is born. That's when Jesus finally comes. And we see this joy attends both his, just his presence and then his ministry, and then the pinnacle of his ministry, his resurrection, The provision of joy in the person of Jesus embodied in our Savior. Hope you're still in Luke chapter 1. We're going to take a look at verse 44 and following. We'll start in 41. Because when pregnant Mary visits cousin Elizabeth, the one who would bear John the Baptist, we have this interesting little encounter. We'll read this one now. Luke 1, beginning in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary the baby, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, that's Jesus. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, Elizabeth is explaining this. Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's not miss what happens when Jesus comes close. In proximity to Jesus, joy can be found. John the Baptist, the little baby, leaps for joy in his mother's womb at the nearness of Jesus. And even down in verse 47, if it's still open, you can take a look. When Mary's singing, how does Mary begin Mary's song? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Joy, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. Joy to the world comes with the birth of Jesus. Make no mistake. It's not just an afterthought or part of a Christmas card it is vital and interconnected to the prophecies and to the presence of Jesus that joy comes with Jesus. Joy comes with Jesus. You may not have thought of that much, but it's here in the scriptures. At his birth in Luke chapter 2, when the angels are singing, I perceive some joy in that little hallelujah chorus of angels. And the shepherds who had been fearful are awakened And engaged and curious, and I think with joy, they go to the manger. We know that at the manger, the wise men would come. Matthew talks about the wise men. We've mentioned them in recent weeks. The wise men were filled with joy when they saw the star over the baby. And they rejoiced and worshipped Jesus. In the presence of Jesus, there is joy. Or even in uh, Luke chapter 2, our Advent candle lighting referenced Simeon and his words later in Luke chapter 2 and 24 and following uh, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ the promised baby And he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed him and said, I'm sure with tears of joy, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people Israel. With the birth of Jesus come reactions of joy. Before the baby had taught or displayed his godly power or the plan of salvation. It's that in- integral to the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus this coming of joy. In the ministry of Jesus, uh, we're just taking a very cursory look, so I can't cover the whole ministry of Jesus, even in a sub-point. But if you know, let me just throw out a few things. One of his parables, the shortest parable, perhaps, Matthew 13, 44, says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, ooh, and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. That's a great little parable. When you find Jesus, says the parable, you do, you give all that you have to have Jesus. He's your all. He's the pearl of great price. That old TV show, Let's Make a Deal. You've got money in your hand or something and you want the bigger box or do you want the bigger curtain and are you going to make a deal and and, you know sometimes they'd pull back the curtain and there'd be a donkey a zonk you don't always know what you're getting in the deal but when you come to Jesus there and your eyes are open to behold the son of God who comes to bring salvation and joy there's nothing held back you give yourself completely to him that ministry moment when Jesus taught. He was teaching disciples who were listening to him. And I wonder if they all just shared that moment of joy. Lord, we've left everything to follow you, they said on another occasion. Is that your testimony as a Christian? Is Jesus Christ worth more than everything? To you, I hope so. Test your heart. You shall have no other gods besides him. He loves you so. Well, also in the ministry of Jesus, in Luke's record of the Beatitudes, in Luke chapter 6, one of the blessings is this. Blessed are you, disciples, when people hate you. Hang on. He continues. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So you've been faithful. Jesus says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus taught what it meant to follow him. And if you're following him and get mistreated from the world and they scorn you and you get a bad name by the world and all these horrible things happen, Jesus says, oh, better luck next time. No, Jesus says you can still be joyful in that moment because you're my disciple and you're faithful. If you're a Christian and you know God through Jesus Christ, you have access to great joy that transcends your circumstances and it transcends the the accolades of the people who know you. Do we understand that's what it means to be a Christian, to have Jesus? You have access to joy that the world doesn't know, that perhaps family members don't know or understand. You have it all! You have it all. Jesus taught a couple of things in John's gospel that I want to mention. John 15, a precious chapter about abiding the branches and the vine. In verse 11, Jesus says, These things, clinging to him, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That your joy would go viral. That your joy would runneth over. That your joy would knock you off your feet. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. You're with me? Well, I've told you these things, John 15, 11, so that my joy may be in you. What, what is Jesus' joy? We'll get to that. But it would be in us and in us to the full never think that following christ is drudgery or mere duty it is a delight let the love of jesus show you that and jesus didn't wait just for us to figure that out in john 17 jesus brings it up in prayer john 17 the longest prayer of jesus recorded in the bible jesus praying to god the father which is a fantastic thing for us to see the the trinity god the son speaking of god the father and what does he mention in the midst of that prayer he prays for those of us who would believe later on without seeing but in john seventeen thirteen, he says this but now i am coming to you and these things i speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves Jesus, in his prayer for us, wanted us to have his joy. Joy of knowing God the Father, believing and experiencing his care and provision as a perfect father without fear of man or circumstance. A joy that is deep and abiding and formative. That's what Jesus came to make known. James Montgomery Boyce, I have a longer quote coming up, but James Montgomery Boyce said this, and this is really the thesis that got this whole sermon stirring. Joy, he says, joy is based, he's not defining joy, but he's saying it's based upon the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. That's the foundation, to know this Christ. That's why the angels say, Hello, shepherds, up in Adam, I want you to know that this has happened. Joy to the world, you need to first know the one who came to the world. He said, Joy is based on the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Christian joy is that fullness of joy found in God's presence and in relationship with him and believing him. Christian joy is that inner gladness that comes from knowing Christ. It's not in addition to, it's based on knowing Christ. Let's also notice before we move on that this provision of joy in Christ was not only in his ministry his message his miracles but in his resurrection where he conquers sin and death and has a confirmation of all his claims made sure by his resurrection how do we know Jesus was telling the truth about himself that he could give us eternal life and all those things he promised that was a lot of promising unlike some of the coupons we get, we get to the store, oh, that doesn't apply to the good stuff you want to buy. That only applies to that stuff. Jesus, there is no fine print. He spoke the truth, he offers salvation, he offers joy, and at the resurrection, God affirms that message, confirms, and welcomes the sacrifice of Jesus. Notice at the resurrection of Jesus, that we won't turn to all the passages, the disciples run to the tomb. They run with hope and expectancy and with joy, I would think. In the upper room where Jesus, newly risen from the grave, later that day appears in the upper room and the disciples are there. Thomas isn't there the first time. He appears later and Thomas is there. Part of their reaction is recorded in Luke 24, verse 41. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? He confirms to them the resurrection and and they're trying to get their hands around it. But part of their experience was joy. Can this really be true? This is amazing. At the ascension into heaven, when Jesus goes up into heaven Luke 24 verses 50 and following it says he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy yes Lord we'll miss you but they had that joy because God had promised the presence of his Holy Spirit they knew it was true The resurrection and ascension of Jesus connected with joy. I hope we see it. Let's look at the possession of joy. The possession of joy, we'll bring it home with this final heading Christian joy. First, we need to know it has a distinct nature. It has a distinct nature. I've been hinting at that as we've gone along. There's a big difference between happiness and joy in the world. The first clue was back at Hebrews 9, verse 3, where it talked about they rejoice before you. Their joy is multiplied and it's a joy in the presence of God because it's a Godward joy. It's a holy joy. Right? But James Boyce says this. This is the fuller quote that i alluded to before. He said, joy is the virtue that corresponds in the Christian life to happiness in the world. On the surface, they seem related. But happiness is dependent upon circumstances. When fortunate circumstances are removed, the happiness is removed with them. Well, joy is different. Joy is based on the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. And that... Never changes. Joy and happiness are different. The distinct nature of Christian joy. J. Packer says joy is a condition that is experienced, but it's more than a feeling. It's primarily a state of mind, a state of belief. John 17, Jesus had prayed that my joy would be fulfilled in them. The joy of Jesus, not just that they'd be happy like the world is happy no Jesus knew what it was like to have the father's care and he wanted them to have joy in the father's love and care as well that's the distinction of the Christian joy or as John Piper puts it to distinguish it listen to this the joy that Jesus came to bring is from outside this world there we go It is the very joy that Jesus himself has in God the Father, which he had had from all eternity and will have forever. There is no greater joy than the joy that God has in being God, because God is the greatest object of joy, and God has the greatest powers to enjoy. And we get access to that joy that Jesus mentioned and notice from John 17, too, he, Jesus was still speaking in the world for believers in the world. Christians can have this distinctive joy, well, yet in the world. We're not just talking about heaven to come and the streets of gold. We're talking about the streets of here and now, and the Mondays and the Fridays and everything in between, and life in this world. We can still have this joy in this world well how do we make room for joy well reading some of the things that John Piper said reminded me that it is possible to make room for joy indeed it's important because some people don't make room for joy just as people didn't make room for Mary and Joseph at the end that's a different story but it reminds us that sometimes it's hard to get the good stuff in because other stuffs there Piper says prepare your heart for joy and he gives three quick points He said, the heart must become disenchanted with the praise of men. Disenchanted with the praise of men. We're alienated from God, so we try to become big fish in a small pond. And we try to get our praise from men and our affections from other people. We try to build the horizontal relationships when the vertical one is broken. So what Piper says is the heart must become disenchanted with the sufficiency of those things. And he gets it from Jesus. Jesus said this in John's gospel, chapter five. But I know that you do not have, he's speaking to some Pharisees, as I recall, you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe, Jesus says, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Part of the rebuke in John 5 is, you've got no room in your heart for me. Because you're used to living on the praise of men. That's a good advice for us. If we need to make room for more Christian joy, more Jesus joy, we've got to not live for the praise of people. A second way to make room from John Piper is the heart must become disenchanted with the sufficiency of money and things to satisfy the soul. Ah yes. American Christians. Dare I bring this up and step on our toes. Our, our toes. My own toes and your toes. We live in a land of plenty. This is like the Disneyland of the earth. We have people that will hand us a cup of hot delicious coffee. Or some concoction through the window into our car. While we sit on heated seats and drive on paved roads. Life is more than our conveniences, our possessions, our savings. We must become, to a certain degree, disenchanted, not just with things, but with the fact that they can supply what our soul needs most. The Pharisees who loved money were challenged when Jesus spoke to them. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. They didn't make room because they had things. And some other things. To make room for Jesus, you need to prepare your heart. Sometimes we talk about that in terms of repentance. We have to turn from the stuff toward the Savior. What a great time to think about that and receive a gift of greater joy. And I should also mention, finally, how do you maintain this joy? You need to make room for it. How do you maintain it? Well, you need to know it's a vital, ongoing mark of the Christian. So if you're a Christian and you're maintaining your Christian relationship, the joy will be there. And if the joy isn't, present in your life by and large there's a problem with your walk as a Christian I'm not saying that Christians never get depressed Christians never get discouraged or have dry seasons those are all true things but in your Christian walk if you profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ joy should be a part of your regular experience because joy is based on a knowledge of who God is That doesn't change. And what Christ has done, that doesn't change. You should have joy. That inner gladness, that satisfaction in transcendent truth and our God. So you maintain it. Augustine said the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Interesting. I, I can't believe. I don't have the source, but he said that. And I said, that's pretty good. Our joy is a great joy, but it can go to sleep. It can get eclipsed, it can get crowded out, get the elbow. So we need to focus on who God is and what Christ has done. We need to hear, perhaps memorize passages like Romans 5. When you get to Romans 5, 11, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When you ponder through the scriptures who God is and what he has done, the joy will be renewed. One of the consequences and benefits of reading your Bible and praying and doing all those acts of devotion is that your joy will be healthier. Do you feel better after a nice walk outside? Walk with the Spirit, walk in the Word of God, and be infused with truth that will lay a foundation for Christian joy. Maintain your joy. You need to hear Romans 5. You need to obey Rome, excuse me, obey Philippians 4 4. Some of you know it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. That's an imperative. That's a command to Christians to get yourself focused on Christ. We can't always command our feelings. You can feel sad. But we have a command to take our feelings and our mind's attention and our heart's affections and put them in the Lord and pursue joy. We ought to pursue it. That's what the command is there for. Christians aren't those who ignore the hard things of life, but we want to see them transformed by obeying God's word. James Montgomery Boyce was quoting another scholar when he talked about this phrase, joy be, joy be with you, which is often a Christian greeting. Joy be with you rings triumphantly through the pages of the New Testament. There is no virtue in the Christian life which is not made radiant with joy. There is no circumstance, no occasion which is not illuminated with joy. A joyless life is not a Christian life, for joy is one constant in the recipe for Christian living, amen to that. The promise of joy, the provision of joy, the possession of joy, that's made possible by what we're celebrating when we celebrate the incarnation. As a closing word, I would just repeat, hark the herald angels, they've spoken, they've announced the good news. This preacher's done his part. You can read the Bible for yourself. The joy is there for the taking and opening and experiencing based on who God is and what he has done in Christ. Have joy and share it with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the promises and the fulfillment, all these things which converge at the incarnation Uh, Help us to understand these things and be careful readers of our Bible and never gloss over the occasions of joy, the connections to joy. But may we live transformed lives in this broken world and so be salt and light and beacons of hope to others. Father, increase our joy, for you are good and you have done great things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.